Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. You know, toxic thoughts, depression, anxiety, our mental mess is frequently aggravated by a chaotic world and sustained by an inability to manage our own thought life. Our guest today, Dr. Caroline Leaf, says that we shouldn't settle into this mental mess as, as if it's normal. She's here today to let you know that there is hope and help available to us and the road to healthier thoughts and peak happiness may actually be shorter than you think. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who is here to help you to begin start cleaning up your mental mess that may be the key to unlocking a more peaceful life. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain and to control chaotic thinking. We all can use that and to find mental peace. She's the author of Switch On Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You and Think, Learn, Succeed among many other books. Her top rated podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess and countless media appearances. Welcome to the show, Dr. Leaf. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be with you, Janie. And we are so happy that you are here. You know, when reading your book, there's so much information that we all can glean from just to have a healthier life. But, you know, one of the things that stood out to me, and I have to start off right with this, you know, you talk about forgetting a past hurt or trauma is impossible, even with forgiveness. And we can't just erase traumatic events from our memory as they, are, as they impact our brain and are stored in our bodies. But we can, however, change how it is stored and how the past impacts the present. And we constantly hear this, you know, forgive and forget. I know my clients are always um, telling this to themselves, forgive and forget. Yeah. So please help us. You have to start us off by helping us understand why can't we just forgive and forget? I love that you asked that question, you know, and that's great that you did. I recently did a podcast on that. And it's just so important because there's such a a philosophy out there. And a lot of it's coming from the wellness movement plus the religious movement. And it's all well-intentioned. And it's thinking, well, if I've forgiven, I can just forget. But that's not enough. You've got to forgive. That's part of the healing process. That's one of the steps. But you can't just forget what's happened to you because forgetting in that sense where you say, okay, well, now I've forgiven. That's it. You, you, you haven't done the processing yet and you haven't taught, stored out the actual source cause, the origin story. You haven't worked through. You haven't deconstructed and reconstructed why you were at that place. So if you, don't, if you do just try and forget, what you're really doing is you're just suppressing. You're just pushing it down into the depths of your mind and your brain and your body. And that's volcanic in nature. A thought with its memories embedded is volcanic in nature. So it doesn't respond very well to suppression. Suppression, you know, you can't, eventually that volcano bubbles over and causes damage. And that is what a thought does if we try and forget. So I think maybe, Janie, a really good way to understand this is, is if I explain what the mind is, what the brain is, and what a thought is. Because if people understand, you know, we can talk in general terms about 
you know, if not suppressing, but what does it actually look like? What does it mean it's stored in my brain and my body? What is the brain? What is the mind? I think those distinctions are very important to help people understand why you can't just forget and why you shouldn't try and just forget. Because what you've got to do is not forget, you've got to actually reconceptualize. And it's two totally different processes. Forgetting is suppression. Reconceptualizing is actually accepting it, reworking it, and making it work for you instead of against you. So you get the control, you shift the power balance. And that's the pathway to empowerment. So that's kind of the philosophy behind it. But I don't know if you'd like me to dive a little deeper into the more sciencey, physical side of it, because it's really, it's quite fascinating. And when people recognize the power, what a thought actually is, it's very, it's it's much easier to do what I'm do- what we're saying. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Leaf, I think it actually would be very helpful if you were to break it down. Because I think a lot of times people are, you know, I know with my different groups and different clients that I work with, it's intimidating when people hear certain language, when they hear certain certain words, if they can't yeah. relate to it or they don't know what it is. So then they'll think, well, that doesn't relate to me. And then they don't explore it. So it would be phenomenal if you were able to help us um, break down some of the science of the mind and the brain. So people have a reference point as to why this is important. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you. We throw a lot of words around that, um, you know, in almost interchangeably, like people will use mind and brain as though they're the same thing. And they'll use thoughts and memories as though they're the same thing. And they'll use emotions and feelings as though they're the same thing. But all these things are actually different and they play different roles and that kind of thing. And when you understand kind of what they are, you've got knowledge. And when you've got knowledge, you find that you can change your attitude. And when you change your attitude, you actually then can apply the skill you can develop, but you can, it, can be, it can become a behavior change. And so that's always what I try and teach people is to try and give them the knowledge to be able to shift attitude and then change behaviors. So in terms of that, I, I know you've got viewers and listeners. So um, the listeners, I'm going to use some props if that's okay with you. Absolutely. And then I'll describe them to the listeners. So the first thing I'm holding up here for those of you that are listening is a brain, not a real one. It's a model of a brain in a skull. And the reason I'm starting here with this prop is that the brain is not the mind. So you'll be looking at a brain, you know your brain's in your skull, but that is not what your mind is. These are two very distinct concepts and two very distinct things. And if we can understand the difference, which we, which I'm going to explain now, it is a huge step in the direction of not just forgetting, but reconceptualizing and getting control over the thought life and all the things that we're going to be discussing today, cleaning up a mental mess, et cetera. So the brain is basically the physical part of us. It's, it's part of the body. So I'm holding up another model and that's of the brain and the body. And you could just look at your own body if you are listening. And that is the physical part of you. Now, interestingly enough, this brain body physical part of us, which is so vitally important, is only actually about one, maybe 10% of who you are as a human. So what's the other 90 to 99%? It's your mind. So your mind is this massive, huge part of you, which is why it's such an important part to understand and which is something that we don't spend enough time talking about in this current era. 40 years ago, it was much more talked about. And and right back into the ancient times, there's 150 years of very good scientific, solid and modern scientific research on mind and mind-brain connection. But for the last 40 years, we've gone forward in so many ways, but we've gone backward as well in so many ways. And we're paying a massive price. And I talk about that, uh, Janie, in the first part of my book about the, you know, the price of not understanding mind and the, the overarching result of us not 
understanding the mind-brain difference, the mind being this 90 to 99% of us and the brain being this part of the 1% to 10% physical brain and body, is that we are not treat, treating people as humans. We're subsuming the mental capacity of humans onto the physical capacity as though they want, and they're not, they're separate. And that is called the what we call the biomedical model. So for example, that would be saying that if someone is backing with depression, they have a chemical imbalance. Now that is a myth, it's unscientific, it's not even spoken about in anyone who's any worth any the waiting any kind of scientist scientist who understands what they're talking about, and doctor, medical person, psychotherapist, etc won't talk about that because that is old science. It's a very good marketing strategy. But what it is is an example of how we've subsumed the mental capacity, that 90 to 99% of who we are as humans, that mind part of us, into the into the physical substance of the brain and the body. So like if someone's got diabetes or cancer, we can identify that through very good medical procedures that's the biomedical model and there's treatments and it's fantastic and we've advanced so much in the last 40 years and technology and that's been amazing but what's happened is that when people are battling with for example depression or anxiety ruminating panic attacks bipolar all those scary words instead of those being descriptions as of clues and warning signals of what's going on in a person's life that they're reflecting a narrative those that is pushed aside and it's subsumed into the physical and now it's spoken of as though it's a physical disease as though there's a neuropsychiatric brain disease or there's there's a neurobiological correlate in your brain for what's happening or that you're a broken brain and that's not that's really quite demoralizing and quite invalidating because, and, and it increases the stigma because already you're backing with whatever, you know, you're going through the pandemic, last death, grieving, financial, just life, the things that happen. Um, and now you get told on top of that, that you, your, your feelings of depression or anxiety as a result of what you're going through, you now get told it's a disease, that you're now not only battling, but you also have a brain disease, which is really scary. It takes hope, it takes control away, it takes hope away. And what we see from between 1996 and 2014, there was a, a trend being picked up and they watched this and federal data show we did this long study and it's not spoken about much and that's why I, I speak about it all the time and I put it into my book but it's a very very important study because it reflects the dangers of ignoring the 99 to, 90 to 99% mind so what's happened is in ignoring that and going and subsuming it under the physical or making it all about the physical and forgetting about you and being a human in life experiencing adverse circumstances and having a source and an origin story to what you're going through ignoring all of that has resulted in people dying 8 to 25 years younger than what they should which is insane so we've advanced with neuroscience we've advanced with technology we've advanced with medicine you would think that the decades-long trend of people living longer would still be in effect but it's not so for decades people have been living longer because of those advances but now since 90 between 96 and 2014 and the trend has continued into 2021 the people are actually that trend is reversed so people are now dying younger so there's a very 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 important consequence of not managing our mind of not understanding mind of keeping this distinction in place and understanding the relationship and that is if we don't people pretty much are dying younger and that's quite frightening and the age group most affected Janie is the 25 to 64 year old mm -hmm. so that's kids are losing parents and the workplace is using losing workers in their prime and so we've got and we also have our uh, gen, G, uh, millennials gen z gen y gen z um, having the most um are the most drug generation ever especially gen z are the most drug generation ever so 
that's those are very significant factors because drugs do change the brain. Psychotropic drugs specifically change the brain. They, they're not fixing anything. They're having an effect in the brain. And that effect changes the brain. And that effect, it's not even a side effect, it's direct effects that can also shorten lifespan. So these are things that are not being spoken about mm-hmm. enough. And I know that, that I know I understand your approach and I understand you and I have the same philosophy and approach. And thank goodness that we both out there and there's a lot of us like us talking about this. So I want to come back full circle and say it's so important that we do understand that when we talk about your brain, um, your depression, anxiety, et cetera, not being a brain disease, we're not invalidating. We're actually validating. We are saying it's much more than a brain disease. It's not a brain disease. You can't just go and label it and stick it in a box and say, that's it for the rest of your life, take medication. That's not the case. As you as a psychotherapist know, what we have to do is we have to become, we have to go and understand why we have that. So I come from the angle that you look at the depression and the anxiety as a cue, as a warning signal, as a clue, a cue, a warning signal, a messenger, helpful. And when you embrace those, you can then process, find the source and reconceptualize. And that's the basic, so that's been the overarching um, philosophy and direction of my research for nearly 40 years now. So I've been in the field 40 years, 38 years, and I have been doing clinical trials and research for that, that amount of time. And I've practiced clinically for 25 years. So, and I, and I don't do it in a lab. I don't do my work in a lab. I bring, I go out into the field and work with people in real life, which I think is more significant because it's not creating situations. It's actually looking at what's happening in a person's life. So having said all of that, let's come back to the brain-mind difference. You've got the brain and the body, which is 1% to 10% of who you are. And that's the biomedical model is brilliant for that. Absolutely wonderful. Then we have our mind. So what is our mind? At 90 to 99% is mind, is our aliveness. So the difference between you and me having this conversation and the listeners and viewers and a dead person is our mind. So the mind is this life force. It's this energizing life force that enables us to experience life, the absolute gift of experiencing life. So our mind is how we experience life from the moment we open our eyes to the moment we go to sleep. And then while we're sleeping, our mind is still working to sort out what we've just experienced during the day. So the mind never stops. We can go three weeks without food. We can go three days without water. We can go three minutes without oxygen, but we don't even go three seconds without using the mind. So if you define mind in the most simple terms, mind is how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. Now, notice I've held the three fingers up together, and they stuck together, literally. Mm. Thinking, feeling, choosing. That is what mind is. You can't think without feeling. You can't think and feel without choosing. You can't feel without choosing and thinking. In other words, they're always working together. You will experience life. And as soon as you have an experience, you open your eyes, you read your cell phone, or you talk to someone, or you start thinking about the day, that is you experiencing life. You start thinking. As soon as you start thinking, you have feelings. As soon as you have feelings, you make choices. So you're doing this little cycle, which is mind, this mind cycle, this mind in action cycle, all day long and all night long at around about 400 billion actions per second. And that's how we process experience of life you're doing it right now as you're listening to me and and watching the props and seeing the visuals and so on is you are processing everything that i'm saying at 400 billion actions per second to think they'll choose think they'll choose think they'll choose so that's that's on a psychological level interestingly on a physics level we can also look at mind so body we can understand neurobiology but around the the body we have this 
imagine a cloud around the body. And that cloud is literally a gravitational field. Now, that's not anything weird. If you think of it, we're sitting, we're not floating. That's because of gravity. We are in gravitational fields. A couple of years back, Nobel Prize winners won the Nobel Prize for their work on gravitational fields and how you can start measuring them. And some of the work that's coming out is that each human has their own unique gravitational field. Mm -hmm. And like I can't have yours, you can't have mine. Mm -hmm. And that field moves through the brain and the body. And that field has got a lot to do with the work of Einstein, the photoelectric effect, the work of quantum physics. So it's stuff that we've actually been studying for 120, 120, 150 years, but it's not spoken about in mainstream science much. Um, It's also something that the ancients spoke about. Mind and brain were always seen as a separation. So this is is ancient and modern science coming together in the fields of like gravitational fields and that kind of thing. So quite simply in an easy, simple language, imagine a cloud around you and it's this whole electromagnetic field and it's also through you. Now, how Mm. do we see that? You can do an EKG on someone's heart and you will pick up electrical activity. That's evidence of mind moving through Mm. brain and body. You can do a QEEG, which is the technology I use as a neuroscientist, and that picks up the energy response, the electrical activity in the brain. You can do various different types of tests to check electrical activity in the blood flow and so on and so on. So in other words, you can do an FMRI. If someone's dead, those machines, that technology is not going to have any response. So the Mm. response is this energetic mind thing. Now, the exciting thing is that this mind is how we are processing information. So when I said that you are processing what you are hearing and thinking and what you're hearing us discuss now, that means your processing, the little machine is your think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. On a physics level, it's a bunch of electromagnetic effects and gravitational fields and all Mm -hmm. kinds being pushed through the brain. Then the brain then responds electrically, electromagnetically, electrochemically, um, using quantum energy as well as genetically. And, And that whole beautiful relationship between the think, feel, choose, gravitational, all this, this physics stuff, and the physical and the, the contact with the physical substance of the brain creates a, res, a genetic response. And the genetic response makes substance, real stuff, proteins. Mm. And those proteins group together, it makes amino acids, and amino acids group together to form proteins, and proteins group together to form little branches. And each protein is holding the words as a vibration. So proteins are substance, so they have weight. Groups of proteins have more weight. The proteins have got vibrations inside of them, which mm-hmm. is the content, which is more weight. So what I'm talking about is you actually building a thought made of branches and these a thought that has branches made of proteins and chemicals. So now I'm holding mm. up a little tree and this tree is what thoughts look like in the brain. They literally look like branch trees. So as a tree, this is, I'm holding up a tree, a little green tree in a, in a pot and the roots obviously would be buried inside the pot, but the roots would be a whole lot of roots. So first of all, roots grow, we know that, and then the branches grow. So this is now a thought. So the substance or the product of think, feel, choose is you build thoughts. So when I talk about you hearing what I'm saying, you think, feel, choose, all that physics stuff's happen, goes in your brain, your brain responds in all these chemical and electrical ways, and suddenly you have this genetic response and you make amino acids, you make proteins, you grow branches, here are the branches. So each of these little branches is made of proteins. Each protein is vibrating. So there's millions of trillions in this little tree. So as I'm talking now, you are doing this. You are directing neuroplasticity. Neuro means brain, plastic means to change. You're growing your brain. You're changing the structure of your brain. You're creating a product that is a thought that has weight. It has substance. And it therefore has impact on you physically in your brain and in your body, which is phenomenal. 
Now, the structure of this, so this is a thought, okay, the whole tree. And this is a thought. Now, let's say the thought we're building at the moment is about this conversation. So we're talking about mental health or we're talking about mind, brain, or however you've pitched this in your mind, whatever you, however you see this conversation. So that would be the name of your tree. Like you have an apple tree and you have a fir tree and you have a whatever. This is a thought tree. So that it has a name, it's a concept, but it's made of branches, like a tree is made of branches, branches above the ground and root branches. And those branches are the memories. So like a tree is made of branches, thoughts, which are real things, are made of memories. So memories are inside the thoughts. And these memories are very, are very um, full. So the, the, now the roots are the source. So in other words, what I'm saying, the questions you ask me, my answers, the discussion, the back and forth between you and I is the source because this is the origin of today's tree. And the, the tree trunk and the branches each person that's listening is building the roots. That's that's the source. Mm -hmm. But the branches that you see above the ground, those are your interpretation, your perception, mm -hmm. your unique view of what you're hearing, of what you're experiencing. So you grow your experience. So this is what you think, feel, and choose mm -hmm. about what you're hearing. So this is very real. This has weight. This has mm -hmm. impact. Now, the more I think about this, the more energy I give it, the more weight it becomes. Now, this produces behavior what you say and what you do, how you turn up in your relationships, how you turn up in work, how you turn up in your life with your spouses, with your loved ones, with your kids, with your work colleagues, with how you turn up in what you do with your, how you do your work, et cetera. All of everything about what you say and do is coming from these that you build. Now, this is a healthy tree, a healthy thought tree. Here's now my famous toxic tree. So I've got a wiry tree. <laughs> It is very much alive, but it doesn't look alive. So this is now the same sort of structure. So there's my root system. There's the tree trunk and there are the branches. But now this would be a toxic experience, like a trauma, like an abuse, like mm -hmm. experiencing what you have through COVID, the acute trauma that initially be that became a pretty established trauma over the last 14 months and all the experiences that you've uniquely had around that. Mm -hmm. So that's the actual experience. All the information about COVID, for example, would be in the root. And each day more is being added. And then this is your interpretation of that. Now, this mm. is toxic. So therefore, this go, these proteins are still, still got substance, still made of proteins, but these proteins fold incorrectly because mm. this is now a toxic, it's a it's a misperceived view. It's something that's damaging. It's an adverse circumstance that you're experiencing. So it's distorted. So it builds into your brain as this this solid reality so this because it's toxic our brain and our body we we know from neurobiology are wired mm. for for love for health for survival so therefore this threatens survival very much like the covid virus threatens mm. survival so we do get the covid virus your immune system responds to fight it when you have a toxic thought it's as real physically mm -hmm. as i've just described as, as a virus so therefore your immune system starts fighting this and i showed this in my research you're going to get an increase in cortisol you're going to get an increase in homocysteine you're going to get an increase in inflammatory factors it's going to affect your dna so all of this this is why we get these reactions to stress why our body becomes inflamed why we get vulnerability in the different systems of our body when we try and keep these things so this goes full circle back to the first question of why you can't forget if someone has mm. hurt you there's the source there's your interpretation this is now manifesting in how you're showing up perhaps it was a repeated abuse in a marriage so now there's this total 
this this now shows up in your behaviors of being timid, of being um, lacking in self-confidence, mm-hmm. fearful of forming new relationships, uh, lacking in trust, um, very unhappy, a lot of depression. That's going to show up in your life. So you can't just say, okay, I forgive my ex for um, mm-hmm. an ex for bullying or you forgive that parent for abuse or you forgive that perpetrator for abuse or whatever you, you that's just that's part of but if you just do that and then shove this down you haven't dealt with this this is alive and living this threatens survival your immune system still saying hey there's a threat to your survival so you still have increased inflammation and increased or you know every system right down to every cell of your body is being affected because not only is this stored in your brain as a tree so this is in your, and I'm holding up a toxic tree that's all wiry and I'm holding up the brain. But this is also, remember the gravitational field of the mind. This is also in a second place, it's in the fields of the mind. So instead of there being waves, looking beautiful waves like the waves of the sea, it becomes this very jagged line that is creating tremendous anxiety and stress. So we get that in our field, which then moves to our body. So we get this very, and that makes you having anxiety and it can increase and cumulatively over time lead to higher levels of anxiety and panic and that's not a disease that is a response mm-hmm. and yes it is damaging the brain and the body yes we will see changes as i said your inflammation will increase because cortisol will rise glucose levels will rise homocysteine prolactin acth all these factors we see that are biomarkers of illness will will rise and then our systems start breaking down our hearts and our lungs and our liver and our digestive system whatever we've all got genetic weaknesses mm-hmm. and we're all going to respond differently so we and unmanaged just for suppressing pushing down not dealing with stuff has increased the bond this is still here when this is still here you increase the vulnerability of your brain and body to disease so i'm not saying that unforgiveness causes cancer absolutely not i'm also not saying what the secret says is that i can just wish something nice and it attracts me and you know that's so ridiculously um um uh, it's shallow it's not not how humans function i'm also not just saying think positive thoughts and say 10 gratitude statements and 15 po- affirmations and everything's good no that doesn't that's a band-aid on a bullet wound as one of my friends says that's not <laughs> doing anything what you have to do those you can you can use those at a certain point it's even like cbt techniques i mean you're a psychologist therapist you know you can't just throw in a technique you have to find out what's going on first the technique is then used in the repair process but you first have to deconstruct and that's what we need to help people to do so you to you you can increase vulnerability in your body by trying to just shove down by just trying to forget by not dealing with our stuff by just pretending it's not there or just accepting that label and just living in the depression you are actually increasing your vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98 percent so how can you reverse this what can you do how do you mm-hmm. how do you forgive and not forget? What do you do? You have to manage your mind. You have to bring in mind management, which yes. requires self-regulation, which requires understanding that mind has got two components, messy mind and wise mind. But before I dive into that, I don't know if you want to ask me anything about what I've just well, said. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Leaf, I think you set somebody free. And I just feel like shouting because uh, the way that you express and shared with us, you know, I think it's going to help a lot of people understand when people think they're defective, and there's something wrong with them, or um, they get into this victim mentality. So yeah. um, we are going to take our commercial break. And we will be right back with Dr. Leaf because we have a lot more in store for you. So we'll be right back. Let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? 
This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it, anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So, call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We are here with our esteemed guest, Dr. Leaf, and she is helping us understand the brain, the mind, our responses and our thought processes and all the things we need to do to clean up our mental mess. So right before we took our break, you were sharing with us and explaining to us. And um, I was just over here. People couldn't see me, but just smiling and just yeah. agreeing with everything that you were saying, because I think a lot of times, not only with you breaking everything down, but you also, those that, that are going to be watching um, the episode, will see the, the props and the visualization and to make sense of their own life. But you know, one of the things that I will see as, um, as a therapist, and I would want you to help us understand this, and you write about our past memories, how they're physically stored in our brain and our body. And for someone listening or watching, can you break down for us how sharing with us, um, sharing with us, what exactly does that mean? We hear the trauma, um, the body keeps the score by Vanderbilt's work and a lot of people's work. How can someone recognize that within themselves that the memories are stored in their body and that may be caused to their physical sickness? Great question. And it's a great segue into the, from the past one into this question. So that's a fantastic question. Okay. So we've spoken about these thoughts. So I'm holding up the, the green tree and the toxic tree um, that I was for those for the viewers and we spoke about how thoughts are real and they're made of memories and the memories are the root memories are the source and the and the branches are the interpretation of the, um, the thing so this is the interpretation of how you understand the source so for example this could be an abuse and the interpretation is i am shame i'm useless i can't form relationships and that leads to depression anxiety etc the, the green one would be this is great information how can i use this in my life and then you start using it so that's just to give you that example okay so now that these physical trees this is what your thoughts 
thoughts look like and thoughts are the product of mind mind being as we said in the first segment how you think feel and choose and this gravitational field around your body so these thoughts with their memories look like trees in the brain so the brain is one place where they stood so i'm going to bring back my model of the body now and i'm going to just point to the different things here so the trees in the brain our thoughts look like trees in the body our thoughts go into the dna of the cells. So cells have got, so in, in the, from the, in the brain, the every entire part of the body, from the brain, every other part of the body, the entire brain and body are made of 37 to 100 trillion cells. We're not quite sure how many, somewhere in that region, okay? Um, so every single one of your 37 to 100 trillion cells stores every single experience you have. In other words, every thought, because every experience becomes a thought. So you have trillions upon trillions upon trillions of thoughts in your brain as trees and in the in the structures of your dna of your cells so you have 37 to 100 trillion versions of that toxic tree that's one tree in your brain of this toxic thought and you have it in 37 million different places or 100 trillion however many cells we've got in our body as well so it goes literally into the depths and we all know that um a cell has got all the different structures and your dna is right kind of in the middle at the sort of heart of the cell and it's the chromosomes and the genes and everything so it's a complicated thing but that stores it and that's what we pass through generations as well that's where how things mm. pass through the generations which is the concept of epigenetics and all kinds of things um so that's why the body keeps the score because if we've stored it that means here's i've got some muscle showing um, there's that there's millions of trillions of cells just in the shoulder muscle. That memory there is also there. It's also there in your throat muscle, in your lung, in your in your pancreas, in your in your pancreas, in your digestive system, in every part of your body. There is a representation of this memory, and that's what it means when the, the body keeps the score, because we store these thoughts in three places. Number one, brain is trees. Number two, in the DNA in our body and number three in the gravitational fields of our mind. So they trees, they waves in the gravitational field of the mind and they in the DNA of the body. So three different places, which is phenomenal. Yes. So no wonder when you have a trauma and you recall the trauma, what's coming back? First of all, the data comes back because as you recall it, that's your mind working. So the first it's kind of like it goes in order. First of all, your mind recalls. So you get that overarching Phew, mind, think, feel, choose. You're going to get an overarching overwhelm of all the detail of what's happening, like a, a big picture immersion in this whole thing. And then it travels immediately to, to activate the, the tree, the, the, co the corresponding tree in the brain. And it's all very fast. It's pretty instantaneous. And then that brings up detail. Then you start getting all the different, the different memories being activated. And these are the, the different types of memories that are activated in the branches and then the roots. And then the body gets activated. And that's when the physical sensations start coming back. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start feeling like it's very strange. Like you can have a child who's maybe, let's say, eight years old, and they get bullied. And the day, and they get bullied maybe repeatedly at a new school. They go, let's just create a scenario. You go to a new school, and you're not accepted. This is such a common scenario. And you're eight years old, you're in your new school, you're feeling a kind of a little bit fluey that first day, and you get bullied. The next day you get bullied, and you this flu kind of is pretty bad that week, and you're bullying. The bullying's pretty bad. The bullying carries on. The flu goes away, but the memory's been established. Mm -hmm. So now you it kind of gets under control maybe, but you've now... Fast forward and you're 16 years old and you go to 
the environment and something triggers that same, maybe a person looks the same or maybe another bullying experience occurs, but you never dealt with this. You never had an opportunity. So this then it is triggered from the non-conscious mind. And the fear that, that this new bullying experience pulls up the old bullying experience and it pulls it up with all the source the, your interpretation and that means that the mind brings this whole thing up then it activates the brain with the detail of the memories the thoughts the feelings the, the memories of the thought sorry let me say that again it brings it up with the detail mm-hmm. of what you thought felt and chose so the thoughts the feelings the choices that happened mm-hmm. and the different types of memories within that because there's different types there's factual memories and then there's the personalization of that memory so there's the facts of what happened and then there's the personalization all of that comes rushing up and then then the sensation of your body comes up and suddenly you feel fluid, but you've got no flu, but suddenly you feel fluid. And so that comes back up and, but you, and now you like flu symptoms. And then also you feel tension in your body. So maybe there's an adrenaline shot or there's um, your heart starts palpitating. Like it's going to pump out of your body and your face, um, your tongue gets stuck to the top of your mouth or you feel your shoulders tensing or all of the above or whatever. And the HPA axis gets activated. And that's where what we're talking about when we talk about the body keeping the score. Mm-hmm. So how we manage that, it's actually not that difficult. It's very difficult, but it's not that difficult. It's mm-hmm. difficult because it's, it's very, it's hard doing trauma work. But if you know the system and the steps, which is what you guide your patients through all the time, but they, they, that really helps. What I bring to the table is that the, I bring the system of how they come to you for therapy, but they're coming once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. So what do they do with themselves when they leave you? They've got to live with themselves 24-7 until they see you again. So there has to be a, a mind management system in place to know what to do as they prepare and live through the week and prepare for the next therapy session. So the system I've developed is not a technique. It's not a new form of therapy. It enhances therapy. definitely doesn't replace therapy. You'll see throughout all my work, I encourage people to go to therapy therapy is one of those things that i mean i practiced myself for 25 years it's one of those things that should never even be the government should be funding it 100 so that everyone can go to therapy because everyone needs therapy and i'm sure you can agree with me there's everyone's <laughs> really? got trauma and everyone and there's so many different ways of doing it like i was listening to an amazing talk where they were taught there in the uk they're so advanced they have mm-hmm. like yoga prescriptions and yes. they have so you don't just do the yoga together you actually then go and have a meal together afterwards and you so you you know there's relational there's so much that can be done that's yes. not being done where money could be channeled into that not into more drugs that they're trying to make that are going to damage the brain but that's another whole discussion you and i could probably right. have for hours <laughs> but essentially to help people um in, in on the spot is to understand that's what that's what that means it's coming back but you can manage that and that's the beauty once you understand the system um then you can you can manage the system Absolutely. And I love that some of the schools in the UK are now uh, incorporating meditation as part of the school day. Just uh, so many advances. Yes. It's awesome. Um, But you've also talked about, because since we're talking about just um, the toxic stuff, I think a lot of people can relate to this or can glean from your wisdom and all your years of experience. So if someone's listening or they're watching us and they want to know, how do they deal with their toxic memories? Okay. So they know that they're toxic. They know that they have all of this stuff. Um, and they get triggered by that. So from their experiences and the, the thoughts. So how can they stay calm and cope in the moments that they are triggered by these memories and experiences? And I know you've given us some steps and some things in your book. So what can you share with someone that's listening and they're, they're not familiar with your work, but they said that this is something that they relate to and they want to start working immediately on themselves? 
Okay, so that's a really good question too. So our mind is always with us, as I've mentioned. You wake up with your mind, you eat with your mind, you dress with your mind, you talk with your mind, you're listening now with your mind, you go to sleep with your mind, you have dreams with your mind. So your mind never stops. So whether you are two years old, one years old, a baby, and, and, and 90s, your mind is still going. So mind management is absolutely key as a human, and it's not addressed sufficiently. So that's the core of my work is teaching you mind management. So that's the basic principle involved. So mind management's like your, like your overarching what you should be doing all the time. And then you can go deeper in therapeutic situations to actually manage what comes up in your day-to-day management of your mind. So there's different levels that we're working on. Okay. So that's kind of the overarching principle. Then when, uh, in terms of how to understand, now I've described all the stuff about these thoughts. So let's say now, okay, so what do I do? I now understand that, um, that I get triggered and that trigger then brings this whole thing up in my mind. So I get this whoosh of this memory Then my brain is activated with the tree. So I start getting some details and then my body responds and I've got this whole thing hitting me and it's totally overwhelming. It feels like you're standing under a huge apple tree and you bumped it and all the apples are just like knocking you out and it's overwhelming. So what do you do? Okay, so what I've developed over the years is a concept called the neurocycle. And the neurocycle it's called that now. It's in the book. My book is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, with the most recent one. We uh, talk about the neurocycle. I used to call it the five step. Yeah, I see it there. Switch on your brain process. Um, and that was this the neurocycle was birthed 38 years ago when I started my research. I developed a theory called the geodesic information theory and started doing all the research to test the theory. And it was based on a, a, a question that was asked. Uh, a question I asked one of my neuroscience lecturers back in the 80s when neuroscience was in its infancy and they didn't believe the brain could change. And I said, but that doesn't make sense because they spoke about the mind-brain and that they did correctly then, but they said the brain couldn't change. They said the mind changed, but not the brain. And I said, but that's impossible because the mind uses the brain. You can't separate the two. The one is using the other, a feedback. And I remember my professor saying, that's a ridiculous question. So I did a TED talk on this. Um, and I said, okay, well, if it's so ridiculous, let me do research on the worst population you can, that you could give me. So what is it? And they said, well, take someone with traumatic brain injury, people mm-hmm. that have had very severe trauma to their brain, that they are non-functional or very low functioning. And that's what I did. I worked with people that had been written off as vegetables and that kind of thing. I mean, that's what they used to say. How terrible is that? Doctors used to say in those, in that, in those days, I had so many neurologists that said, oh, they're just vegetables. Mm-hmm. That's shocking because you should never say that about anyone. But anyway, I would work with people and some of my early research I work with people that had been in a coma for very long times and had come around and one story is of a young girl who and I'll do this very very quickly so we can get to the technique was 16 at the time of her accident had a two was in a coma for over two weeks had been written off by the neurologist parents didn't give up they she came around got out of her coma and they contacted me honestly I was very early in my research very young scientist very just started my practice still in my still doing studying still doing research starting my research and they said, please, we've heard you've been working with traumatic brain injury. Can you please help us? And so I worked with them three hours a week for eight months. And her, and when I started working with this young girl, she was functioning at a second grade level. When her accident happened, it was the end of 11th grade. Her goal when I met her was to get back to 
to 12th grade and finish with mm-hmm. her peer group who were like in the first quarter already of the of their 12th grade year. Now, that is a massive order. How do you do in eight months? How do you go from second grade to 12th grade when you have severe brain damage? It's an impossible task. And so I was told by all her neurologists and all the consultants that I spoke to, except for two professors that supported my, they said, go for it, do it. So I had two people supporting me and myself and this family, and we went for it. And I developed a system, which is now the NeuroCycle, which was a directed mind technique. Not technique, I hate, I hate to use the word technique because technique, um, there are techniques within it. It's a mm-hmm. system. It's how you understand your mind to use your mind to start directing your mind to change your brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, and to control, in other words, to direct the neuroplasticity, to direct the changes inside of your brain. So um, out of that, um, this young girl using the system three, for three days a week and then on her own in between, because as I said before, you can go to therapy, but what do you do in between? Mm-hmm. So she was using it in between on not only her schoolwork to increase and build her brain, but also to detox the trauma that she'd gone through and all the emotional trauma of not being like she was. So There's a lot of emotional stuff. So the same system of five steps was used to grow the brain and heal the trauma, as well as to detox. The, the traumatic mm-hmm. events that had some subsequent events of having the trauma. Within eight months, this young girl, who was a very average student prior to her accident, so prior to the brain damage, she was pretty average, pretty pretty bad at math. Um, and after the accident, not only within eight months, she finished school with her peer group and she finished with flying colors and she became a math genius. When we had, I worked with a team of, of neuropsychologists who then did various different types of intellectual testing because IQ is very limited. So we did mm-hmm. various different types and she was, she had gone on to genius level. She was considered a genius, a prodigy, protege and went on to get degrees. Now this is same young girl was considered a vegetable. Wow. You know, and that was that motivated me. Then I went, I was grew up in, in, in Zimbabwe and was working in South Africa. So at the time I was working in South Africa in the apartheid mm-hmm. system. So the the restrictions there in the socioeconomic, the apartheid, the trauma. Mm-hmm. I work, worked in three days a week in those areas mm-hmm. and saw the sub consequence of like the kind of education wasn't even education, the trauma, etc. So I did three days a week of work in those areas, in as well as running a private practice where the more privileged could afford to come mm-hmm. and working in schools and government and so on so I did that on purpose to try and get obviously to help people but to understand mind from different aspects so I'm saying all of this to help you understand where these five steps come from they're not some magical trick that you can just do they're no quick fix we're in a quick fix era where we want to give me the pull give me the five steps and boom I'm fixed in five minutes not a chance Mm -hmm. okay this girl worked every day for eight months and every patient subsequent what I learned in my years of research in South Africa and subsequently and and I worked in Rwanda water in Rwanda after the genocide I worked in um, you know so I've worked in very extreme conditions and work with people mm-hmm. who walked as you know sexual trauma etc etc suicide etc on top of learning disabilities alzheimer's i've worked on like both angles of the and and to try and understand the building as well as the detoxing side mm-hmm. so all the systems and you'll see in the book i teach you how to use the system to build your brain which is one of the most powerful mental health resilience systems on the planet that people do not talk about it's like priority and you'll see in chapter 14 i have my daily routine and brain building is essential you like you clean your teeth every day you need to brain build every day mm-hmm. and you breathe all the time you need it you need a neurocycle all the time I mean, your mind never stops like you never stop breathing your mind never stops mm-hmm. so the system is to help you manage your mind all the time and the system is also to help you do the cleaning of the teeth which is the more specific directed um, whether it is brain building or whether it's detoxing 
and we've all got traumas as you know so well Mm -hmm. in the work you do and there's different obviously degrees of trauma depending on what you've experienced in life so that's where this history comes from and over the years I kept on researching refining finding out okay if you do this what's happening in the brain what is the Mm -hmm. science of thought how does this thought build like I told you this detail of how thought builds how can I use that knowledge to then find these and become a thought detective like Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes and find out what are the clues what is the source what happened what really happened and then now that I know what happened I that awareness alone is not enough I have to go beyond that I have to go beyond into okay I have to reconstruct I have to reconceptualize otherwise this controls me I have to make this now it's happened I can't forget I can forgive it's part of the techniques to forgiveness is a technique but it's you can't I now have to reconstruct so like you buy an old house and you decide to renovate and you find this ugly old house you know that funny sign that's up uglyhouses.com uglyoldhouses.com always <laughs> makes me laugh but it always is a good analogy you buy an ugly old house and you you take photos and of all the mold and the, the you know the, the ugly carpets and the darkness and the cupboards that are falling whatever um, and then you bash that down and you build a beautiful new space so it's deconstruction reconstruction mm. that's what you do here that is your you you as a thought detective you use the five steps to go from the signals the cues to the origin story and in that process you deconstruct it so you are embracing processing and reconceptualizing through deconstructing and reconstructing Mm -hmm. and then so you in other words you take your story and you make it work for you so if for those of you that are listening i'm holding up the green tree and i'm holding it into the camera and face down and what you'll see is there's light colored leaves and dark colored leaves like there's a light colored leaf and there's darker ones in the back now that's for a reason when you reconstruct or reconceptualize, you're not just saying X plus Y equals Z. You're not just sticking a Z band-aid on the XY issue. X is what happened. Y is what you would like to have happened. And XY is how you make sense of that and how you're going to make it play out your future. So I'm not just going to do Z and just slap an affirmation, a drug, a label, mm-hmm. um, onto this, onto this tox, on the toxic one, um, chop the head off the weed, it's going to regrow. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to Z it. I'm going to XY it, which means I'm going to XY. X is the light colors. Y is the dark. So X is what happened. But now I've put it into the green tree. I've reconstructed it. This takes time. It takes um, cycles of 21 days. And I'll talk about the time in a moment. I'm reconstructing into the healthy. The healthy is the dark green. That's Mm -hmm. how I want it to play out into my future. I want to be able to have a relationship. I want to be able to not get triggered by that and fall apart every time that particular trigger occurs in my life. I want to be able to go into that meeting and not get into fall into a panic every time, whatever. I want to not live with constant hovering anxiety. I don't want to keep ruminating. I don't want to keep overgeneralizing. I don't want to keep mm-hmm. having imposter syndrome as a dominant force in my life, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I want to be free of. So this is the story that's kept me there, but now I've taken control back. I have reconceptualized. Mm-hmm. So this is just at the tip. This is the core of who I am, the dark ones. And this is now how I'm now going to make this play out into my future. And so that process of identifying, embracing processing and reconceptualizing from that into this, where I take the energy, because this is a physical thing. This is a physical thing. Mm-hmm. This was there first. I'm going to grow this. Yes. Ener- these, these physical things have got energy. So mm-hmm. as you, um, we know that if chemical equations release energy, we know that from basic science, energy is never lost, it's converted. So I'm, as I become aware of this, as soon as neuroscience shows us that as soon as we are aware of something, you weaken it in your brain. So the protein branches become weaker. As soon as I'm aware, I weaken these protein branches, I weaken the wave in the field, and I weaken the DNA 
um, control in my body. I start activating different switches. So I'm doing three things. So mm -hmm. that awareness is giving me power. I'm now controlling. I'm no longer under the apple tree being hit by the apples. I'm standing back and I'm observing the tree and I'm controlling how I want to reconstruct this tree. There's no, there's no condemnation, no guilt, no shame, because all of those are just useful messengers. They're not, they're not me. They're not an it. They're not a disease. They're simply telling me something. See, there's a whole shift in perspective. So and that's what, to do that takes 21 days at least. So what I've shown from my research mm -hmm. is, and this is not 21 days to build a habit. That's a complete myth. And I talk about that in the book mm -hmm. too. It takes 21 days to get what we call gamma peaks in the brain, which is the neuroplastic changes, which means this thing is going to lose energy and I'm going to now grow something new. And as I, as I, as I deconstruct this and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, I now rebuild it into this. I transfer the energy to this. So that happens, takes about 21 days. And then after 21 days, this is there, but it's small. Now, here's a tremendous key. And I know one of your questions you, you, you're going to ask me is um, and about, you know, people get stuck and they feel like they've mm -hmm. tried and nothing's worked and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they get emotionally stuck and they're going round and round the, the, in circles. Well, this little new reconstructed tree, had the work's been done, but you're not finished. Most people stop here. Most people don't even get here. I have to tell you, most people get to between day four and day 14. Most people get to that and then they tend to go back and start all over again. So they don't progress forward. And it's so frustrating. That creates mm -hmm. tremendous emotional stuckness and rumination. So this teaches you to progress forward and go beyond rumination. So essentially what happens is that from day 22 to 63, it takes a full nine weeks. So we need three cycles of 21. The first 21 does this, takes this mm -hmm. away and builds this. The second 42 make this strong. Whatever you think about the most grows. So as you practice, you're giving this more and more energy. Remember, there's trillions and trillions of thoughts in your mind. So you don't, from you've been building thoughts, which are experiences as a result of mind in action from a certain point in the womb. So there's trillions in this forest. Imagine your mind being this infinite forest and you're flying above it in a helicopter and you're just mm. looking at this forest that just never ends, okay? So this has got to compete with all the other thoughts. It's got to get from the non-conscious mind, which mm -hmm. is active 24-7, N-O-N, not subconscious, not unconscious. Unconscious is when you knocked out. Subconscious is the bridge between the conscious mind and the non-conscious. The non-conscious is also another unspoken of and misunderstood area. The non-conscious is where everything about you, every experience, all your belief systems, everything you've ever experienced is in thought trees, in the waves of your, of your mind, in the trees of your brain and in the DNA of your body. That's the non-conscious operates 24 seven, operates at 10 to the 27, which means at 400 billion actions per second, it's beyond space and time. Mm -hmm. So it's brilliant and it's where you're, it's your brilliance. It's your, mm -hmm. it's, and at the core of this non-conscious is your wise mind. So all of us have this wise mind. And there's also in the non-conscious, the messy mind. The conscious mind is awake when you're awake. Only. So the conscious mind's only working when you're awake. The non-conscious mind, N-O-N, is working 24-7. Mm -hmm. So the non-conscious, think of as these, this ongoing, constant action, brilliant, always going where all of our thought trees and waves and DNA stuff is all happening. Conscious mind is our active interaction with life when you're awake. And that's only awake when you're awake. The subconscious is the bridge between the two. Now, the mm -hmm. more we 
mind manage mm-hmm. through the neurocycles, through the system of mind management. The more you mind manage, the more you get your non-conscious to talk to your conscious. So you get your conscious mind to listen to the non-conscious and the non-conscious sends messages through the subconscious. So it's those little tip of the tongue, those little prompts, those little, okay, so we want to listen, but we're very busy and we don't listen and we just, you know, we get just get reactive instead of responsive. Responsive mm-hmm. means we really tune in, introspect, listen, dig deep, and that takes time. And that's what you're teaching your patients to do in, in psychotherapies, to really listen and tune in and so on. And then, then only can you start fixing. So we've all got, if you think of this huge forest, we've all got the strip through the middle of our forest, which is this perfect strip of this, these green trees that are just beautiful on the Mm. outside are all these other green trees that are kind of messy and then in between there's these toxic trees which are all the toxic experiences but the inside is a wise mind the outside is the messy mind so we have a wise mind and a messy mind which brings us full circle back to the title of my book cleaning up the mental mess our messy mind is beautiful it's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. an experimental mind. It is how you, it's the first line of defense. Think of an army. You have your foot soldiers that go out first. It's this, that's what your messy mind is. It goes out first. It tends to be very experimental. So it makes a ton of mistakes, but that's mm-hmm. okay. That's how you learn. So messiness is not something to be frightened of. Mm-hmm. Messiness is something to embrace so that you can repair and grow. So if you have the argument, embrace it so you can repair and grow. Don't go into guilt, shame, and condemnation. If you're a mom, I'm a mom of four, and I'm sure you're a mom, I'm sure, as well. Well, and the guilt that goes into parenting, don't let that guilt keep you back. Let that guilt prompt you to say, okay, I made a mess. How can I repair? How can I grow? So that's the philosophy that we want to adopt in this whole thing is that, yes, this is normal human response. We're going to make a mess because our messy mind is out there. The wise mind is always there, but we've got to train Mm -hmm. our messy mind to work with a wise mind. So our wired for love nature is the messy mind working with the wise mind. And when the messy mind works with the wise mind, we become intuitive and introspective. When we end response and we become responders, first responders versus mm-hmm. reactors. Reactors are triggered yes. and mm-hmm. just jump in and make things worse and more anxiety and all that stuff. So this is essentially so what, what you what the system is going to help you do. It's going to help you get this whole thing under control. So when we talk about using the five steps, we are talking about you going into your messy mind and wise mind together. And imagine being a pilot and you're flying, flying, flying a helicopter or whatever. The messy mind is the pilot. The wise mind is the co-pilot. Because the co-pilot's giving advice, watching what's coming up, has got the advantage of, of seeing what's going on. The messy, the messy mind's actually doing the flying, first mm. offense. So the two together, you always two together. You want to train your ability to cooperate between the two. Most of us are very driven by the messy mind. Mm-hmm. We need to train ourselves to become to listen to the wise mind. And that's what the neuroscience will do. If you learn to play the violin and learn to become a pro athlete, it doesn't happen overnight. So learning the neurocycle trains over time, yes. teaches you how to do this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's so you land the plane and you get out. You so instead of okay, so what you do is you yeah, here's the depression, here's the anxiety, and you now respond to that signal. That's a cue, that's a clue. Mm-hmm. And so instead of flying over, which is forgetting, which and saying, Oh, forgive it. That and you flying over, and I'll go and I'll ignore that or mm-hmm. whatever. You actually say, Listen to the co pilot that says, Hey, you know what? You've got to deal with this. Land the plane. So you land the plane, you step out, you don't go stand under the tree mm-hmm. that the apples hit you. You stand back and you look at the tree and you with your co pilot. So now you go into multiple perspective advantage. I call it the MPA. Um, it's in the book as well. All this is in the book in detail. And you now start observing the situation. And this is in your 15 to 45 minute session that you do every day for 21 days. Mm-hmm. And you, so you're going to work through these five steps. Step one, land the plane, 
and accept with absolute embracing. Embracing means bring it to your fold. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. There's no shame. You're a human. You've responded to adverse circumstances. You're responding to the clue, warning signal of depression. It's a great thing to, to respond to. Depression is not scary. Depression is a messenger. When you do that, you can embrace it. So that's your philosophy coming in. And then you start working through the five steps. And basically, I mean, they're in detail in the book, but essentially mm-hmm. you start gathering awareness. You start reflecting, which is the second step. You do two steps of writing, and then you do an action um, to an action step and the, those those steps have been meticulously worked out that as you do them you bring the two sides of the brain together you increase blood flow and oxygen in the front of your brain which mm-hmm. drops impulsivity increases a responsiveness and decision making you get the different parts of your brain to connect you get more integrated so you can build, build there's a million different things that happen which i explain and in the long run you can actually completely transform how you function so i'll just end that little session off by showing you another image in the book um, and you've seen this image because you've got mm-hmm. the book. For those of you that are, can, are um, can't see, I'm holding up the page in the book, cleaning it for me to miss. Um, and I, it's, a, it's a page that's got heat maps. And this is using the QEEG and it's looking inside the brain at the energy response in the brain to person thinking. This is a case study in, in the, uh, my most recent clinical trials. And very simplistically, there's three rows of heat maps. And the first row is blue and the second two rows are gray. Okay, so very simple. The first <laughs> row is day one. The second row is day 21. The third row is day 63. It takes 63 days to mm-hmm. change a behavior, to build a habit and change a behavior, not 21 like we've been told. Mm-hmm. It takes at least three cycles. In 21, you'll build. As I said, you'll get gamma peaks, but it takes a full 63 to actually create a habit that will then change the behavior. So that feeling of stuckness will be stuck until day 63. Mm-hmm. Know, and you'll feel stuck if you just stop at day 21. You're going to be very frustrated because you're going to say, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. So this is how you get to that other point. So for the first 21 days, you do the five steps each day for 15 to 45 minutes. This is the dedicated brushing your teeth time if you want to use it that mm-hmm. way. Then the next 42 days, you just do step five. And it takes you one to seven minutes, which is not long at all, to transform, literally transform the behaviors. There's no prescription in terms of if you have X trauma, how many cycles. But honestly, the trauma is huge. There's a good chance you might do multiple cycles of 63 days. Mm -hmm. I've had patients work for a whole year in in 63-day cycles on the same toxic tree, but in Mm -hmm. the first cycle, they maybe found this much, and then this on the next one, Mm -hmm. and this on the next one. These don't be hard on yourself. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself the time. And this is where therapy is so vital. Because as you do the work, then you can unpack and get guidance and perspective in therapy and help with the emotional decompression that can mm-hmm. be needed in something like this. So that's kind of the overarching, I've said a lot. I don't know if you want to ask more questions, more specific. <laughs> well, well, we are at the end of our end show. Of our, and we yeah. we are, are so appreciative, Dr. Leaf, because, you know, I think a lot of time, I think uh, someone, a light bulb was going to come on and you said something that was pivotal and it's not 21 days and 63 days. And you talk yeah. about the cycle, but you have to get the book to really clean up your mental mess to really understand those steps. But I think a lot of people will get unstuck by hearing that not 21 days. It's a lot longer um, in that. But um, as we as we end another episode of Let's Talk About It with Jane Lacey, where can people buy your book or where can people follow you if they want to uh, remain in touch with you? 
Absolutely. Well, all my social media handles, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., are Dr. Caroline Leaf. So it's super easy. And obviously from Instagram, you can get to everything. My webpage is drleaf.com. The book's available wherever books are sold. And also on our site, we have a store, so drleaf.com. So I know sometimes Amazon, well, Amazon constantly seems to run out of them, but it is available on Amazon wherever books are sold. Um, globally and um, I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess which yeah is also got lots of advice and that's that's about it so there's lots lots of things on there <laughs> absolutely so if you want to uh, learn there's lots of uh, resources her podcast her book and many other books so go to Amazon follow her on Instagram and uh, we are so appreciative of your time and gleaming from all of your experience and resources and hopefully the po- the goal is that someone was impacted by hearing your message today so thank, thank you, you so, so much. much it's my pleasure I also actually Janie have an, an app called the NeuroCycle app which is available okay. on Google and iTunes as well which helps people in like me giving them therapy. So that also helps too. Well, you heard that she has an app. So go look and download the app today. (laughs) So in the words of our esteemed guest, how you use your mind to manage is incredibly important. It's in the foundation of a happy and healthy life. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week.